Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Utabia. Stephen Chicken here alongside David Hartrick. How are you doing, Dave? Feeling energetic and, and energized and other things beginning with Enna. Anna Valencia, you feeling Anna Valencia? I've I've never felt Anna Valencia, and I would deny any accusations of, of that. No, that was very energetic. This is this is how I roll. Um, well, we've from got a, a man winter. who literally said, "I've got to get my energy up," <laughs> and then suddenly you appeared like a bottle of Lucasade. I'm a professional. Um, well, we've got a win to talk about to begin with, and then a defeat to talk about. So we should probably be. High energy to begin with, and then and then tail off at the end because Puddersfield Town are doing that, so we might as well. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going. I I will warn you. I think I'm probably going to say one or two things that a few people might not like. Oh dear! Is it a <laughs> is it your conspiracy theories again? Yeah, jet fuel doesn't burn hot enough to melt steel. <laughs> no. Go on. So where should we start? Do, should we go chronologically and start with Millwall first? Yeah. Yeah, which on, I, I I think was I think was a really good performance, wasn't it? I mean, there's there's absolutely, I think there's little bits and bobs you can pick out of it. I think have to make the caveat that Millwall were, I mean, they were rotten, weren't they? To be fair, on the day, they're a much better side than that usually. But I thought Town were good, and I thought Town were uh, sort of on top throughout the game, really. Yeah, they were they were fully in control. I thought, and it's probably the only game this season where you can where you can say that about them. They went ahead. I mean, the, the first sort of 10, 15 minutes wasn't fantastic, it's worth saying. But then after they went ahead, I think it was the 18th minute, they never looked back. They they were completely in control of the game. They kept Millwall back, which was the main thing. You know, that they other games they've needed a lot of sort of last-ditch tackles or last-ditch headers or the opposition have hit the bar or whatever it might have been. Whereas this game, for the most part, they just they kept Millwall back away from the goal. Uh, obviously they're going to get through at some point as they as they push more and more numbers, but in the end the that that pushing forward of numbers allowed town to to get them on the break and get two late goals and you know probably 3-0 is a slightly flattering scoreline. I think 2-0 probably would be about right for the balance of play, but fair play to him it was a a really good showing. Yeah, they deserved a goal each half. I don't think that's there's any denying that and I thought no. they were they were good. They were progressive. Um, There's still there's still one or two issues there, but I think the difference was on on Saturday. It's an impossible thing to sort of quantify luck, isn't it? You can't. There's no statistical measure of luck. But mm. Saturday was a day where town it felt like got got the run of the luck. You know, the balls were bouncing back to them. It was they got one or two refereeing decisions, and that's good to see because that's. It's usually a sign that things are going better when you can look and think, well, yeah, because they've been a bit more progressive, a bit more creative, a bit more proactive, they are getting a little bit of the rub of the green. Whereas if you're sort of a very passive team, which Town have been at times over the last couple of years, 
you don't get that because you're constantly waiting for things to happen to you. You create your own luck, is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's game of two halves, saying. <laughs> yeah, it, and I think you know, there's nothing that sort of typifies that more than the fact that they scored that that goal. That first goal came at the end of a 25 pass move, and every mm. single player, town player, had a, at least one touch of it. Which you know, for all we've talked about, they struggle to create chances for themselves, and they're only good on the counter attack and all of these things. Um, to be fair, that's not the first goal they scored this season. That's started with the goalkeeper and or involved the goalkeeper at some point. The the other one that they scored against Bristol that um, also involved the goalkeeper in the build up. So um, yeah, they are starting to add that to their game. It might not be happening often enough, but it is. We are starting to see it. Mm. And I think the the I think the passing was good. It was sharp and it was crisp. Um, it it wasn't passing for passing sake, which is is something we will come on to a little bit when we talk about the next game. <laughs> I thought it was it was just a very proactive performance where it's not just about you know. Forgive me, this sounds like a criticism, but we will get to the game when I want to go into a couple of things. But it wasn't just running about very fast. It was it, there was thought behind it, and it was very it was it was being preactive sort of. It was being high energy and proactive, but doing it in a very measured, thoughtful way um, and understanding the patterns you've been coached through and the, the things the manager wants to do. I thought it was... It, it wasn't a perfect performance, but I think I, I would imagine if you asked the manager, he would say it was as close to his vision of how he wants Town to play so mm-hmm. far, you know, in all the games so far. Yeah, and to be fair to him, he... he... Carlos is always very measured, um, whether it's a, a win, a loss, or a draw. I think the only time I've seen him um, either, um, and and this is post-match presser, obviously on the touchline, he's a he's a dynamo. But um, post-match, the only time I've seen him quite a bit animated uh, after a game was the Birmingham game, where obviously they'd conceded that that you know they thought they'd got the equaliser and then ended up losing the game in in, uh, in the last minute. So that was the only time he was a bit sort of um, uh, irritable and after the Millwall game it, it was sort of same again he was very measured he was very calm he was <laughs> in not so many words saying yeah but it's one game at a time just because we've won this game doesn't mean we're going to do it again in the next game and it, he talked a lot about how they need to both in sort of after the game and in his presser on Monday about how they need to adapt to, to new situations and just because they've solved the problems of the previous game doesn't mean they're going to have the solutions to the problems in the next game and I feel like when they got into Bristol City it was a failure to adapt that cost them because if we if we're done with Millwall, do you have anything more to say on Millwall before I go on to this? No, no. I, I, the thing about it's it's funny. I think it's worth saying to people who are listening to this that it's always quite a weird position for me and you when Town play well and they win because just generally speaking, you you have less to talk about weirdly yeah. because when things and it's it's not that we don't it's not that we want Town to lose or anything like that, but there's only so many ways you can sort of say well yeah that was good that was fine you know that was that was everything they wanted to do whereas when it goes the other way and you lose you can sort of drill into it and pull things out so it's quite it's quite a weird thing being a podcaster isn't it where you don't want them to you don't desperately don't want them to lose but when they do you go all right okay well at least we can (laughs) at least we can get 20 (laughs) minutes on that 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it's something I was thinking about when I was doing the five conclusions last night as well after the game. It was, which is, oh god, these are all so negative, and and you know, after Saturday it was all so positive, and it was like, well, no one game, or very rarely do you get a game that is entirely negative or mm. entirely positive. I mean, there were plenty that were entirely negative last year, but but generally speaking, you can, you know, if you were really if you were a coach you'd go through and go and find the positives and you would go through and find the negatives whether you've won or drawn or lost and I think just as a media like it's we're not trying to to sort of vacillate from one extreme to the other and and be like oh every every win is a triumph and every game is a disaster at all Mm. but it's apart from what you just said about it being easier and more fun to criticize uh it's not more fun it's also sort of you want the opportunity to accentuate the positives after a win like you're trying to sort of match the tone of the fan base but also it's an opportunity to talk about the positives a bit more whereas if you come out and talk about the positives after a defeat then yeah you know everyone's going to be wondering well why are they being so upbeat when they've when they've just lost but also it's it's you know we want to be writing and talking about different things it's boring to talk about the same things every week so Mm. when when you do get a win followed by a defeat sort of the the tone of the coverage might seem a little bit more extreme than than the reality actually Mm. is yeah but that it's it's i think as somebody who has followed lower league football very closely for one reason or another all his (laughs) life I, i you know i do support a club that has finished 91st in the league twice uh once once near to my 18th birthday which was a lovely year um that i think i think the the sort of extremes in championship football and down are just so much more evident that because the games just come thick and fast as somebody who follows brighton one of the real things that shocks you in the premier league is just how few games there are mm-hmm. you can you can lose on a saturday and sometimes it's two weeks before you have a game <laughs> whereas when you're a, a lower league fan a championship fan it, it is a little bit of a roller coaster because it is saturday tuesday saturday wednesday sunday tuesday you know it's it's relentless so you do get more of a it, you do sway from one way to another because you can have a really, really, really good week and get you know three wins, and then you can lose your next three. It's just the nature of the the nature of the beast, isn't it? Yeah, and and town at the moment they're just not drawing games. Um, no. They've had one one draw all season in ten games, so you are going to get that that bouncing around. Um, but anyway, it does bring us on to the topic of of Bristol City and. They, it was a, a game where they were ahead and ended up losing. Shades of that that game against Preston last time they were at home. Um, what was your take on the game overall, Dave? Um, I we'll get into a bit of the detail in a bit. I thought it was it, it's fascinatingly similar to the Preston game in a few ways that I think we can't really ignore. Shall I, I just thought... put the audio from that game <laughs> in here and just change Preston to Bristol? Well, we'll get we'll get into that in a bit, but I think just in a sort of overall sense, I thought Town Town are, this this is where we we get into some of the sort of unpopular things I'm probably going to say is that Town sort of trick the eye into thinking to making you think sometimes that they're playing well. They're not. They're just playing quickly when they haven't played quickly for a couple of years. And last night, 
they had an awful lot of possession, again like they did against Preston. Uh, I think it was Town had 60-odd percent, something like I think, that. I think going into the last 20 minutes, they had 68%. Yeah. Uh, and then that, that dropped off a little bit towards the end of the game because Bristol started dominating it a bit. But yet again, you know, possession is, is just one stat alone. And we've we've already talked lots of times around how the context on possession is just so important. But again, there was a lot of possession. There was a lot of passing. But the chance creation was just just not there. And it just not representative of that possession either. And I think that there comes a point where you've got to start looking at that as, as an issue. Because they got less, less total shots, less shots on target, less shots off target, less corners. But they had 62% possession overall. And that is quite damning really and I know they didn't have Pritchard who you know the one time we have seen Pritchard play in that sort of Corbin system this year we both praised him we both thought he was really good I know they didn't start with Iting and they didn't feel it was a game for Iting and I I I sort of get the thinking on that if I'm honest I I do because if you want to play with a four in midfield and you can't drop Hogg at the moment, particularly because he's important to how that defence operates. And Hoggy has been really, really good last few games. Really, he was excellent really against Millwall. Really good against Millwall, yeah. I, th- I thought he was really good last night. Really good last night. I mean, he, I think there was an orange card incident at the end with that <laughs> yeah. elbow because I think he was out of control. But, you know, his passing and the way he's covering ground and the positions he's taken up are just so much better. I mean, at yeah. one point he had that run through. He was virtually playing in a number 10 role. I mean, he yeah. got a bit of a nosebleed when he got to the edge of the area, didn't he? But, <laughs> yeah, uh, he did. That was that was the one where he had Mbenza to one side and Karoma to the other and he picked the wrong one. He should have mm. gone to Mbenza. But I agree. Like There were a few... I mean, you look at the... the again, going on about player ratings. If you look at the player ratings I gave for that game, it was all fives and sixes. But until 15 minutes from the end, it was all sixes and sevens and Hogg was, was right up there. I thought Mbenza was right up there. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> go on. So I I think the problem is that I think Town are still making quite a few of the the same mistakes they've been making historically, but they're just doing them quicker. You know, they're they're still tending to cluster over one side. I mean, I I text you during that first half. We cut. I have to text you because we sit in the press box, but we have to because of social distancing. We're actually quite away from each other, and because of masks. I can't just lean over and give you a nudge like I used to or write something on the team sheet. Yeah. Um, but I, I text you to say that it was so evident that they were clustering over to the left in the last few games that the, that first half, it was ridiculous. They just went completely the other way and everything was going over to the right and through people in, in particular. Mm-hmm. They're still not creating clear-cut chances they're not. They're, they're, it, and that is a real issue, I think. That is a real, real issue. Because if you're creating one sort of big chance a game and you're scoring from it, it's just not enough against 12 or 13 teams in this division. It's not because they will score. They will they, they score. Have, they have scored in eight consecutive games, but only two of them have had more than one goal in them. Is that mm. sort of your point? Yeah. And this is the thing. They've got to... They've got to turn this possession, this energy, this passing success, they've got to turn that into games where they start creating loads of chances because they're just not doing it. Their dominance isn't in any way reflected 
by the uh, the amount of chances they create. And you've got players there who can score. Fraser Campbell has already showed this season that his his finishing is on point. So you've got to you've got to feed him. Last night he got absolutely nothing, Steve. Mm-hmm. Not a thing. Josh Caroma has already showed he can score. Last night he pops up in that position on the back stick, which is a great position for any striker to take, by the way. That's that shows his intelligence is coming on and scores. Gets nothing else after that. Not yeah. a thing. And th- this is the issue. It's this is a pattern. The Preston game was exactly the same, Steve. Loads of energy, loads of running, loads of successful passes, barely any chances created. So what teams are doing is they're, they're coming to the, to the John Smiths at the moment, expecting to only have the ball maybe 35% of the time, but they know they're going to create more chances, which is... That's an issue, and that needs solving, because even if you want to finish mid-table in this league, you've got to find ways to be scoring twos and threes consistently. And Town, fabulous result against Millwall. As we said, they got the breaks, they took the chances, but they've they've got to either become a chance-creating machine so that they can expect to take at least two or three of the 12 or 15 decent chances they create, or they've got to become incredibly clinical and I know which one I think is probably going to be the more successful way to go there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I th- you mentioned putting things up Pippa's side there, so to speak, and um, <laughs> I th- I think he's kind of I think he's been a great signing, um, and I think he's he's shown real signs of class and ambition. But I also think there's he's had a few games, and and last night was one of them where. His decision making has not been great, to be honest. I know he got on the score sheet against Millwall, but he probably shouldn't have taken that shot on. Um, he takes on an awful lot of shots from the edge of the box, uh, sort of very speculative. And yeah, sometimes he'll you know force the keeper into a save that 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 looks spectacular because they're at full stretch. But those are saves you'd expect the keepers to make. You would have expected Bielkowski to make that save against Millwall, to be honest, rather than pushing it up and over his own line. So. And he's not the only one. Karoma is another one who, who quite often, you know, cuts in from the left and and goes for the speculative shot from the edge of the box. Dan Story, friend of ours, did a, a really interesting piece last week about how um, shots are generally getting closer to the goal. Like as a as a rule in football, people aren't taking long shots anymore, and it's because they are not high value chances. Yeah. And there's been games where Town seem not to have particularly got that memo no this this is the i just before we go on i just want to apologize because my dog's under my desk and if you keep hearing a little growl or a roar (laughs) it's because she's snoring she's french bulldog and she's snoring in the most extraordinary way it's not a consistent snore is what i'm telling you so you may hear the odd crumble or moan um yeah the thing is i love it when dan crowdsources his pieces from our whatsapp group um (laughs) And I think there, I think there are lots. As you know, I think there are lots of reasons why I think that's the case in terms of the way uh, the way modern defences set themselves up and the way a modern defensive midfielder sets themselves up. And I said after that Fraser Campbell goal against Preston, they're the goals that they've they've got to create. You know, the sort of the slightly more bread and butter mm. goals. And it just feels at the moment that they, that's the next big obstacle yeah. that's the next big hurdle they, they've they got to start realistically out 
you can have 20 shots in a game, but if you take 19 of them from the halfway line, that it, it means <laughs> yeah. absolutely nothing. What they've got to start creating is those those dangerous situations, the balls across the box. I think it's worth saying this is not just necessarily on the midfielder's head. I think the balls into the box have to be better. Karoma's delivery into the box is not great. He's there to play the grant role and cut inside more often than not anyway. So you, you're relying on Toff on that side. And people, I think it's clear now that we thought he was going to constantly get to the byline and cut the ball back, but I think it's quite clear now that he loves a little, <laughs> he loves a little run yeah. inside himself. It was interesting because I was sat on the far side of the press box and I was near a couple. I don't know if they were Bristol's analysts or coaches, but I could hear them walk, basically going through what they'd planned for the first half as it was playing out, and they had actually targeted people because they felt he was um basically they they felt he was a really dangerous player but they're targeting because he gives the ball away and i hadn't really when when they said that i hadn't really looked at that and instantly in the next five minutes he did come inside and give the ball away three times Mm -hmm. one of which led to the attack where naki wells hit the bar so it's it's interesting how Huddersfield Town are being analysed now. I think that's very much a marker of a, of the improvements they've made as well. I don't I don't think that's a negative because we've said we had a whole season last year of saying, well, all your analysts would say if you were playing Huddersfield Town is just let them have the ball. <laughs> and now at least mm-hmm. they are making individual and specific plans. So that that's progress. But it, it's just the historical problems that are still there that they need to they need to work on and I, I, I don't know if it's a mental thing, Steve. I don't know if it's still that people being just way too risk adverse, you know, and not mm. playing the not play we we talk about a specific player here and we may as well have this conversation. That Iskan Benza is playing better than he ever has done in a town shirt and that was yeah. I think comfortably that's the best ball I've ever seen him put into a box last night. Mm-hmm. I thought the pace on it was absolutely superb. I thought it was brilliant. And the thing is, he knows Karoma's running there, but he can't judge his run, so he's just putting it into an area. And that's what he needs to do more of, just get it into an area. He gets the assist, and straight away after, he takes a man on for the first time. And that shows you that the lad is just all about confidence, basically. He's he's been bereft. And I described it to you last night of, I think they've got him to like 60%, but they need to get him to like 80% confidence-wise so that he feels free enough to take the risks and lose the ball and put the odd bad cross in. But he also feels free enough to take the risks that bring you the highest reward. Yeah, I actually thought up until he lost his man for Bristol City's goal, I thought he was possibly the best player on the pitcher town in terms of players doing the jobs the way they're meant to be done he made not just the it was a good run for um to help set up the goal the goal and as you say it was a, a brilliant um cross in mm. i think that that owes as much to fraser campbell's alertness as well because he was straight on that loose ball off hamer's kick forward and and immediately turned it into Mbenz's path which was was great to see but um 
there were two or three other runs that Mbenzada mentioned that one with where Hogg could have played it to him as well. There were two or three other runs Mbenza made that were really, really good, intelligent runs and exactly the right run at exactly the right time and he just got ignored by his teammates. Not yeah. intentionally, obviously, but um but they just didn't pick him out. And you know, that's part of the game. You know, every centre forward, every winger will make twenty runs a game and probably only two of them will come off. So you expect that. But my point is that is not to say, oh, his teammates let him down, but to say he was doing a good job there. Um, he held his hands up for losing his man and switching off for half a second for the equaliser. Um, still not great that he switched off, but at least he came out afterwards and acknowledged that he had. But my observation on him, as as you mentioned, is is uh, 50-50 balls. He tends not to go for them. It's it's as though he doesn't know that he's the quickest player on, on any mm. given pitch. Um, and there's been sort of one in every one of his appearances where a loose ball you think if he goes for that he's probably going to get it and he just doesn't even go for it it's not like he tries to go and pulls out or he just doesn't go for it and uh, as you say I think that that is a you said to me last night that I think that I think you're right that that is a confidence thing because Mm -hmm. they they you mentioned they've got him up to sort of 60% confidence and that is a triumph because he was at zero yeah. <laughs> uh, in the summer, let's be honest. Um, but he's he's a dangerous player and actually some of his, his you mentioned the, the, the quality on that cross, some of his passing is actually excellent to be fair. Um, you know, we, which game was it where he played that ball in for, for Toffolo to cross? Um, oh, and, I yeah. I know that, and, yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's, a, he's doing well and he's, you know, we we're going to talk about the the lack of depth in a moment. But to be fair to him, and and Karoma got his third goal as well. And to be fair to them, probably the area where they lack depth the most is on the wings. But the two players who are starting are doing all right, actually. Yeah, they 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 really. I mean, I know there's going to be like a collective roll of the eyes when people hear this, but they really need Diakabi to come up to Mbenza's level because. Yeah. He, he, and Benza was playing last night with both his hammies strapped with tape, as Stearman was, as a couple of others, which shows they are uh, they're desperately worried about one of them going, basically, because um, they know that's going to leave a they know that's going to leave a hole. And dear Carby, so far this season, he's just not doing what Benza does. And Benza looks like he's got the bit between his teeth a little bit, and he's he's really trying you know we talked about when he got subbed off the other day and he was how his reaction to it and uh that that was a player who cared you know if if you mm. don't care which is an accusation he's been leveled with a few times and i don't think me or you could put up much of a case against if you don't care you just come off and take your boots off and flop down um so he's got the bit between his teeth this season but yeah they need another option wide they need the teams are working out that Towns' fullbacks are their main, you know, their main weapon. And the problem is the better teams in this division will quite happily stick a man on top and stick a man on people yeah. and yeah. just I mean just say follow them about, you know. Which is what happened with Toffolo yesterday. Yeah. He, you know, he Toffolo get... it just couldn't get free, could he? No, not at all. He found it very frustrating, you could see. Um probably his quietest game for town 
for almost since he joined. Mm. Um, and I think that my other point really when we're talking about chance creation is I think they're still a bit over-reliant on crosses. We, we as you said, yeah. we, we thought at the start of the season they were going to be getting to the byline and getting those cutbacks. And I think that is what Corbran wants from his team. But I think they've lost their way a little bit with that in the last few games. And they're, they're, the chances they have created have have it, invariably been from crosses. They're not doing enough of what you said. That Lewis O'Brien straight pass up the middle for... Um, for Campbell to just put it between the keeper's legs. They, they, it's interesting to watch the bench's reaction to okay, to Pippa, Peeper. I'm always conscious of how I say his name. I'm just <laughs> going to say Peeper from now on. Um, uh, it's always sort of interesting to watch the bench's reaction to his shots because it's almost like they give him one and say fair enough. But when he does it two or three times, like he has done in the last couple of home matches, by the time he gets on to sort of the third they're doing their nutting at him so it's interesting that I think this is something he just see he just sees the opportunity and goes for it rather than sort of trying to get down that flank and pull it back for players arriving in the box so yeah I I didn't think it was I didn't think it was like a sort of massively bad performance last night but it's just the same as the Preston game it's it's just the same old but just done a lot quicker. So it's a lot easier on the eye and the game whips by. But when you sort of drill down into it, you think, yeah, we've been here before, you know, the crosses thing, the chance creation thing, the, the it being a bit flat in possession, a lot of sideways passing, etc. You think we've been here before, but it was just much worse because everything was much, much slower. <laughs> yeah, and... Um, as I say, it's another game where they've blown a lead. That's they've been ahead six times in games this season, which six out of ten going ahead is is a good good return. There's only uh, a handful of teams in the division that have done more that have done seven, and and that's a lot. Um, but they've also lost from from a leading position twice this season. So taking the lead six times and two of them, they've ended up losing the game. Mm. Which, you know, for context, they're the only team in the division that have done it twice. They're only four other teams ahead of Wednesday night's game. Only four other teams have done it at all this season. And Town last year, for all the problems they had, only lost after going ahead three times out of out of 20, I think it was, 20 or 22 leads they had. Um, so, I mean, it's possible it's just a statistical quirk that this that it's happened sort of twice in quick succession. This happened last year as well. I think they had two in September, and then the next one was sort of uh, late December, I think, and then they didn't do it again. So it's possible that that's an aberration, but either way, it is a, a concern. And also the fact that they've conceded twice in three of the last four. You know, they've been an absolutely bang average team if you look at all the meaningful stats for Huddersfield Town this season mm. chances created chance conversion chances conceded quality of chances conceded everything xg xg against predicted table based on xg they are absolutely bang average for everything but if they are going to make it a habit of make a habit of of conceding two goals in games then they're going to slip below that because you know they can't go into every game needing three to stand a chance of winning. This this is the problem. The better sides in this league will score goals, no matter how you set your defence up, um, because the nature of games coming so thick and fast. And like Bristol last night was a brilliant example, really, of 
the sort of people are, a lot of people have said you know town are falling short i don't think town squad is as thin as some would make out but what it is is not as big as some other squads mm. bristol's squad last night i said to you the first thing i said when you got in the ground last night i'd done my prep for the game you could make two very decent championship first 11s from bristol squad mm. very competitive first 11s and town just can't run like that town don't have that facility but I looked at, out of interest, I looked comparatively at the wage bills and like Bristol City's is off the charts. So that yeah. tells, you, <laughs> tells you all you need to know really about the difference between the two. And I think the, the thing about the other criticism that's been levelled is sort of town couldn't change the game. And you have a view on this and I have a view <laughs> on this. Doing my not on this before we start recording, yeah. Yeah, so I will go first before you have a little rant. And I, I think I, I sort of get that argument. But I think what you have to understand that Carlos Corbran is trying to completely change the philosophy and culture of the playing style of this club. So when you are so ingrained in one style and you're trying to get this new style across and it has to be about the passing and where you take positions up on the pitch and it's all about patterns and how you've been drilled. It's very, very difficult to do that and then say, right, if we go behind in a game, this is how we change it. That will come, that will come, but at the moment there are like maybe step two or three of like a 15-step programme. And I think the sort of accusation of that he couldn't change it. He Town ended up in sort of a weird like two three two two one type formation. It was a, it was it was an odd way to finish the game or chase the game. I'll I'll be honest, but I think it's a bit when they do go behind, it is a bit horses for courses at the moment because the the main thrust of everything the main the plan a at the moment they haven't perfected so you've got to keep working yeah. on plan a till it's perfected before you put in plan a.5 plan b etc yeah yeah and my issue with i mean i'm not going to sit here and pretend that i don't think there is a that they don't need a couple more players i mean it's obvious they need another winger we we've, we've talked about that um and, they and want one and they know, wanted one, yeah. They, they want Arons one. Is, was was lined up, so it's not like yeah. the club don't know that. Yeah, exactly. But and to be honest, you know, we we even before the game last night, we looked at that team sheet. Me, you, and and Leon from the Yorkshire Post, and we were going, look at those benches, though. <laughs> like if this game, yeah. we said before the game, if this town need to take the lead, basically, because if they end up chasing the game, um, if they go behind and end up chasing the game, they've really got no one to bring on who's going to make a big impact because mm. Pritchard's out and he's going to be out for three or four weeks now uh, Carlos Gorbrand said after the game uh, he rolled his ankle against um, against Millwall I don't think to be fair that's not one that you can put down to the the fixtures or the grueling regime I, I saw it I was right in front of him when he did it he was he was making a tackle he slipped he just rolled his ankle it happens yeah, he's been very unlucky there with his... It's just unfortunate that it was Pritchard and he's got his injury problems because people will look at that and say, oh, he's injury prone. But he's, it was just one of those things. Janino Bakuna was ill. And for all the criticisms, many, many criticisms we've had of Janino Bakuna on this podcast this season, um, we have acknowledged continuously that he is a, a, a good game changer to have off the bench. That is his, probably his best role. We've yeah. said it on numerous occasions. So to be missing him was, yeah. was not ideal. 
Um, Danny Ward still out. I think he would have come on. I think he would have come on for O'Brien last night in the yeah. second half, probably on the hour. O'Brien did not have a good game, did he? He well, he didn't, but he doesn't quite look match fit yet to me. He looks, he looks, he's certainly got it in his legs. He's he's fit enough on that regard, but he just hasn't quite got back up to like this is that mental match, sharpness in it. Yeah, yeah, that match speed that we associate with him. So you would have thought the perfect plan last night was to give Lewis O'Brien an hour, see how he was playing, and go right. Okay, he'll get hooked, and we bring Bakuna on at this point mm-hmm. just to provide a bit of sort of forward thrust to yeah. it all. And not having that weapon really did hurt them. Yeah, because they brought Iting on and they basically sat Iting up as a number 10. Yeah. They, they almost they almost went 4-2-3-1 and he just mm. sort of sat and they obviously wanted to try and uh, force Bristol City back a bit and give them something to worry about in the final third. The but no, could they, they couldn't. They couldn't find him. I mean, I gave him an NA. He played 15 minutes and he didn't get a player rating because, mm. yeah. Um, so... I don't think that was the the game for him, really. Ideally, um, I think you want Iting on when you're trying to control the game, not when you're trying to get back into it. And they brought him on just before, I think, just before Bristol scored. Um, so they, that was the idea was to try and help him control the game. But unfortunately, they scored pretty much straight afterwards, and um, he ended up being not not the player they needed in that moment. But they didn't have anyone else that they could have brought on, and. Mm-hmm. I think there's a bit of, but but the reason that I sort of reject this idea about the squad depth cast cost them last night is just because that to me should not have been a game where they needed that level of squad depth. Um, they were winning, you know, they were winning with what was it, 15 minutes to go. They they needed to see it out. They needed to manage the game. They didn't need to put on, you know, two attacking, you know, two three attacking players. They did in the end actually, but they didn't need at that point, to put on two or three attacking players with 15 minutes to go and, and chase a game. They were 1-0 up. They needed to defend what they had, and they didn't. And that was that was the failing, rather than, OK, once you go behind, then you want your substitutes on. But to be honest, with seven minutes to go, it's a bit of a Hail Mary anyway, whoever you throw on. So although there are those those concerns about the depth i'm not sure it was actually what cost them the game here to no. be perfectly honest and it, and corbran has rotated his squad as well you know he made five changes on saturday he made three changes for this game so the squad is about as fresh as it would have been even if you had we, other players we, fit talk, and available. we talked before the game before anything had happened and said that he's actually rotated this squad really really well i yeah. i think the problem with town with the, the preston game and this game the problem is as soon as they go a goal behind, all the chance creation and creativity issues come to a head. That's the mm. problem. Because as soon as you go behind... If you're ahead in a game and it goes to one all, the mental position shifts on the yeah. pitch. And if you've had all that possession and all that passing and all that running and you're not carving out golden chances, this is the thing. We can't look back at either of these games and go, well, if only they'd have gone two or three nil up because of this chance and that chance. And then like the Preston game when um, people hits the post late on because they're just pushing and absolutely trying to get something out of it. They need to be creating those chances like, you know, 40 minutes in one nil up. Yeah. To try and get that second, and this is, this is where the 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 sort of old problems start rearing their head again. And you just, you realise then, it's it's not. I'm not saying this as a criticism of Corbyn or or anyone there or the philosophy, but then you, it, it's more a case of you, 
when you spot these things and when you realise it, you realise how far town have got to go and how it's very easy to get after a few wins to sort of suddenly assume that everything's going to be all right and that they're at step nine on a 10 step program but they're not yet there's a there's a long way to go you know it's going to take a whole season and two more transfer windows to to get town consistently competitive i think yeah and even to be honest even when we get into the the transfer window i don't know if we're going to expect them to do a huge amount of business unless they sell anyone um or someone goes out on loan i I think they'll probably bring in the winger and that might be about your lot because the 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 uh, the the principle is that they want to have two players for every position plus a B team player who can offer cover. And w- once they get that winger, they've they've got that. Um, and I know everyone will be screaming, "What about a striker at me?" But they've got Danny Ward and Fraser Campbell as as their two. And you know, Five I, I think. On the books. <laughs> but this is this is the philosophy, and the idea is that they they want their they want it to be that when the squad does run thin in moments like this where you get a pile up in, of injuries in any given position because there were three midfielders not available for that game mm. uh, Pritchard, Bakuna and Alex Vallejo who is still in quarantine uh, sorry has just come out of quarantine and, and has trained for like two days I should say um, so they had three centre midfielders out so they were they were short in that area and the idea is that when the squad does run thin in those positions, you end up with a Matty Daly on the bench, and or you end up with Romany Critchlow on the bench, or even in the starting lineup if it comes to that, as he was against Nottingham Forest. And I, th- you know, we, we've seen a lot of criticism of Richard Stearman and people saying we'll get Critchlow in the team, <laughs> which I think is completely unwarranted, to be honest. I know Stearman made the mistake against Norwich, he made the mistake against Brentford. I reject the idea that he was at fault for the equalizer against Bristol City um, because Semenyo just just slips you know you can't account it wasn't a bit of skill or trickery that did him Um, he just slipped and then got up incredibly quickly so I I don't think you can blame Stearman for that and to me Stearman has been one of town's best players this season actually I would put him just behind probably Toffolo um, in that regard so but you can't say get Romney Critchlow in the team he did great against Forest. And then also complain that they've ended up with Matty Daly on the bench and and no game changes for this game because you, you kind of can't have it both ways. The whole idea is that if you go and sign a senior pro to come into the team for the sake of filling in for these, you know, two or three games a season, you know, if you get in another Andy King just to fill a gap, um, then you're robbing the opportunities for young players who could be at the, the, the club longer term. And the club know that that is going to cause them some short-term pain, uh, as people are arguing. As I say, I disagree with it, but as people are arguing, happened against Bristol here. They know that that is going to cause them short-term pain in some games, but they feel like in the longer term it's going to stand them well, not just because it means they're giving opportunities to those players. And we've seen with Josh Caroma this season what an opportunity can do because, you know, he's top scorer so far this this season for town. You know, his goal return's reasonably good. For all we think, he could be actually doing better and he should have taken other chances. You know, that's not a bad return he's got there. Um, and that shows what the opportunities can do when the players need that. Um, so I understand where they're... And the other thing is that if they give those... That, that Lee Bromby has argued is that they're developing a reputation as a club that gives chances to young players, which allows them to attract better players into the academy in future, which now that they don't have that 
that full underage range is the whole point is that they want to attract academy players who slip the cracks at other clubs and it allows and if they have that reputation it allows them to get better and better players year on year so i understand the philosophy behind it whether you think it's right or wrong is is entirely up to you Mm. um but that is the thinking behind it and it isn't just a case of I mean, they have said they want to save the money, but the, the reason that they feel like they can save the money is because this system is in place and they believe that this is the best way to go for the longer-term future of the club. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. And I, I think the Critchlow one is quite interesting because a lot of people are man of the match against Forest. He deserves another chance. He should be in for four or five games. It's like, well, you're also forgetting that I was really critical of of him against Rochdale, I thought he was mm-hmm. he had a really poor game. Um, completely understandably, he's a young player and particularly young defenders that that will happen. But Critchlow, because of one game, has become somebody that people think they should you know give him a chance longer term and all that. And I I think in an ideal world, me and you would both have him in League One or League Two, trying mm-hmm. to get. 20 games this season under his belt so yeah. that he comes back a bit more ready uh, for it. And I I think that Town's central defensive options are actually not that bad at all, are they? No, it's probably That's... their strongest position. They've still got Tommy yeah. Elphick to come back as well. Yeah, and, and Edmunds Green. Green. And Edmunds Green as well. And I think Edmunds Green... I'm not going to go on and on about Edmunds Green here because everybody knows what I think about him, but I think he also comes back and immediately leapfrogs Critchlow as well. I think oh, yeah. I think Critchlow is in Edmunds Green's place at the moment. So, yeah. yeah, I. But I think the problem is that there's always going to be this season because of the nature of COVID and how quickly the game's coming and like nine games in December and is it eight games in January and I think just by its very very nature there is always going to be a but when so and so's fit will be all right because yeah. Town will always have two players out as a minimum mm. I think that's no different from any other team in the league yeah. as I said the difference is some teams in this championship just have ridiculous squads town can't compete with somebody like Forest's squad Forest, you could probably have three first teams <laughs> out of it you know Bristol's you could definitely have two really good competitive championship teams and the thing is I think what people need to understand is that even when Corbyn's been here for a season and the playing philosophy is set in stone and we've had a couple of transfer windows and there's been a little bit of churn and there's some new phases in, Town are never going to have a Forest squad. They're never going to have a Bristol squad. It's always going to be this way. It's going to be tight, controlled, pathways for youth players. That's just the way it is. That's just the way the club has to run. Yeah, and... I understand the frustrations because, as I say, when you when you feel like you've lost a game because of it, it and particularly because I think it's particularly um, come up because Bristol City changed the game off the back of those substitutions. Mm. The the three subs they made not only played well, particularly Diadieu and and especially Cement uh, Cementio, who I, had. I, lo- I love Diadieu. I think he, <laughs> yeah. honestly, I said this to you before. I think he's probably one of my favourite players in the championship. He's just a incredible player but the thing is to put it in context all three of those players come to Huddersfield Town and all three of those players would go straight into the first team yeah and people and to be fair I think that's that's part of the frustration is Mm. people would love to have players like that but and I I do get that to be fair but But I I think it's but Town also have 
Pooper and Toffolo and yeah. O'Brien and other players, you know, Karoma and Edmunds Green coming through. They've got an excellent young goalkeeper who's going to get games before the end of this season. So Town have got weapons of their own. Town have got players of their own. You know, they've we've not seen Danny Ward yet over 10 games and what he can bring mm. to it. So it's not... It, 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 a game last night like really magnifies issues that aren't as big as when you actually drill into it. They're not as big as they look on the surface. And again, it comes back to that same thing that this, this is ha- this is what Huddersfield Town are, and this is what Huddersfield Town are gonna be. Yeah, and and as I say, that the fact that they've they made five changes against Millwall and went and won three <laughs> nil. Yeah. Um, you know, and and made three changes here and and were competitive for you know for seventy minutes. It doesn't speak of a squad that is so thin that they're immediately turning to the kids. No. I think that, as I say, I think the main the where they've been a bit unfortunate on this occasion is just the fact that the the players that were out were the players that you would ordinarily look to 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 change the game. Mm. Yeah, Bakuna, Pritchard, Ward, Pritchard. Yeah, mm. and. That's not always going to be the case, I think. And and as I say, the fact that three of them were central midfielders as well, which meant that probably, as you say, O'Brien probably ended up playing more minutes than than he mm. ideally would have done. Hogs played. I mean, Corbran has basically said Hogg has played more minutes than he ideally would have done as well because he's played through injury and he's played yeah. through illness this season. Vallejo so. will come in and go straight yeah. into that position for a couple of games, won't he? You'd imagine. You would think, yeah. He's he's going to relieve the pressure, I think. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's. I understand the worries about it, and I think particularly on the wing, they they look very thin because they've got two good two players who are playing well, and then Diakabi, um, who who people are still sort of worried about, and understandably so. But you know, people at the start of the season would have said we've got Mbenza and he's rubbish, and now we've we've spent five minutes today talking about how promising he's been and how he was probably one of town's best players on Tuesday night. So. You know that they believe in this coach and they believe that he's going to get more out of the players at his disposal. And to be fair, I think we've seen that from several players. You know, and Benza, um, Hamer, um, list goes on. Schindler at times this season. Um, you know, Hogg. We've seen more out of him than we saw last season when he was sort of steady away, but but not great. Karoma, uh, obviously, a massive improvement. Campbell, even so. I don't think it's, as you say, I don't think it's as doom and gloom as, as people are making out, but there you go. Defensively, though, Dave, mm-hmm. do you have concerns about that, that recent defensive record? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I, it's, it's not that I'm being dismissive, but this is a league where teams score. It's not like a tight, controlled... Because of the nature of the games and because of how thick and fast they come, you just you will concede goals. This is this is where Town's chance creation problems come home to roost and you can't keep saying, well, we'd have won that game if it wasn't for Stearman. It's like, no, you'd have won that game if you'd have created more from the 62% possession you had when your opposition only had 38% possession and had more shots, more shots on target, more corners. So you can't just sort of always load it up on the defence. And I think that... The three at the back is you've got three players there who are still getting used to it, 
you know, Saar, Schindler and, and uh, Stearman are all used to playing as a two. And I would say all three are, you, are comfortable in a two. But the three at the back, I think, is a very effective way for town to play with the personnel that's in their squad. So I think we're probably going to see it quite a bit more this season. And I think they'll settle into it a bit more. What was really noticeable last night and how the sort of optic changes a bit is you look back at that game and I saw a few people saying like Nabi Saar wasn't great and his distribution wasn't great and the thing is defensively I thought he was really good his distribution wasn't great because he had no one to pass to there was not mm. a natural out ball and the, he, the, he actually had a couple of really nice passes to the wings I thought yeah, to, to either side the analysts behind us were going mad because they they were that basically there just wasn't the options at any point for those out balls from the defence that they wanted. And again, it was a case of some players pushing too high, some players dropping too deep. And it's just it, it's this is a learning process, and Town are not at the point where they're 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 not so far along the graph. So I think when you look at problems, the defence gets amplified when really they're they're probably the part of this that I think is actually further along the line if I'm brutally honest. There is a job to do on game management though isn't there? <laughs> because this There is, is not... but but you see your game management I think is driven by midfield Steve. Yeah. I think that's where game management really comes into place. I think that's where games are won and lost. And you as you've just said three central midfielders out. I think we both acknowledge they would have made the change with O'Brien but didn't have the capacity to. I think Hogg is doing absolutely brilliantly, but I think O'Brien, you remember, he's only had, what, two and a half games in this system? And Something like that. He, I mean, Three and, and a half, maybe. He wasn't great against Bristol, as you say. I thought he was... It's, it, it was things like putting simple stras- passes astray. Yeah. But he was, he was like that against Millwall as well, particularly in the first half. And he ended up... Because he had a good second half and he scored, I think it kind of got lost. But he did have, he did play like that against Millwall as well. And as you say, I think it's just that that it's it's worth remembering. Not he is still coming back from injury, and he does have that bit of rust about him at the moment. Because, like, if the defense is constantly under pressure, because as soon as Bristol got that goal, they sniffed blood without a shadow of a doubt, and they mm. again that mental balance completely changed and. To be perfectly honest with you, there's only one winner after that. Yeah. But you can't just like load that up on the defence when you've got the the midfield didn't really do. And remember, we're including Toffolo and Pieper in that midfield mm-hmm. now. They stayed really, really high, really high. And when you've got the you know two of your midfield playing a really high line, one of your midfielders dropping back, and then a three, there is a there are spaces there naturally either side that are yeah. going to get exploited. So. It, it's not, town aren't perfect, they're nowhere near perfect, but the defence is the one thing that I think is, is is sort of, is not too bad. It, And the other thing is, like, if you go and score two goals at the other end, then your defence doesn't have to be perfect to win that game. Mm. They can have a wobble, they can have a bad moment. And this this is what I mean about the old problems coming back. And it's, it's, it's easy to look at Stearman and say, well, he should have done this or he should have done that. Or you could say, you know, Schindler gave the ball away or what have you. But it, it's there's always reasons for it. And those reasons usually come from higher up the pitch. It's a bit like being a goalkeeper. You know, if a goalkeeper makes a mistake, six times out of ten, it cut. There's a goal, so it's magnified all the time, and there's often other reasons for it. Yeah, I, I, 
My sort of concern with the defending, and I've phrased it as the defence, where perhaps I should have said the defending. Um, my my sort of concern with it is that you look at the fact that they play this attacking system and you think, oh, well, they're naturally they're conceding more goals because they're playing more attacking. But I'm not sure if that is necessarily the case. I think that there's just been games where they've just lost their discipline positionally, not because they're trying to attack, but just because they've they've switched off a little bit. And I feel like that needs a bit of fine-tuning going into this international break. I think seeing out games is is a major, major, you know, area for improvement, obviously because they've, you know, they've thrown away leads in two of the last four games. Um, but I also think just sort of that, going back to what they would have done at the start of the summer and just working on that, that defensive positioning so that you don't end up in a panic as they did for the two goals um, I think would would stand them in good stead but Cor- Corbyn's not a 1-0 manager no you know Wagner and the Cowleys were 1-0 managers they yeah. they were get ahead in a game and then just find a way to see it out whatever it took and Corbyn's style and system is just the sort of antithesis of that it's if you're 1-0 up in a game well why on earth would you change anything Hmm. you go for the second and the problem is town just aren't they they just haven't got the weaponry to get the second at the moment and I think yeah you're right you know like defenses always want fine-tuning and they always want a little bit of work and all that sort of thing but I think it's people who load problems onto the defense are sort of forgetting just the sort of the firing blanks further up the pitch and it is a midfield issue I think with town yes yeah it's it's a midfield issue it's they're not creative enough and they're not they don't put enough through the center and they are Mm. there's there's no denying it they're just every single midfielder at that club is is completely risk adverse and it's it's where you take the risks where you get the reward in football and until they feel free enough to take those risks on a more regular basis uh, you know like is it Iting who's going to come in and be that player who is going to just take the take the game by the scruff of the neck and start trying to thread balls through left right and centre is it O'Brien longer term is it Bakuna we, we don't know at the moment but one of them really needs to step up and and feed <laughs> feed mm. three in front of them yeah right canal side they've done the the town have released a, a big old video on the development work that they've done at canal side big talking point for the fans over the last year or so uh, it has been that development the fact that that big three-story building has not gone up has not gone unnoticed by the fans um, and they've released this video, just a guided tour from front to back, literally in that order, um, taking you through the work they've done. What was your take on that, Dave? Uh, it, it's a very literal video. <laughs> it's a very, this is this is what we've done, starting with the front gate and working backwards. Um, I think it's difficult for fans to say the club don't communicate with us enough. And then when they do say, oh, not that much, that that doesn't feel particularly fair. But, yeah, I think some of the criticism online, like social media being what it is, everything gets criticised. That's that's just what happens. But I think the video itself, you know, I I think Mark Devlin could have done with some cufflinks and a tie-on and all that sort of thing because I sort of understand why there was a bit of a reaction to that. Um, I think one or two could do with learning how to wear a mask. 
<laughs> as well, uh, which we both remarked upon. But it's a fantastic facility. It isn't everything that was promised, but I think you have to look at the work that was done and everything looks good and looks... I don't. Did you have much experience of that facility before, Steve? A bit, yeah. So, like the the press room and the the new media offices, we we were given a tour of them um, just before the COVID hit. I think we did two or three press conferences in the new press room um, mm. before. Obviously, now all the press conferences are done on Zoom. I don't know if people realise that we're not going into Canal Side to do those presses anymore. Um, so, but we did get to do two or three in in february um before we suddenly couldn't anymore yeah i i think it's i i think what's got lost in a lot of it is that yeah it may not be everything that was promised but i think there's probably reasons for that and whether the club want to communicate them or not is is down to them they they're spending well, they... a vast amount of money on this um you know that's that's their right but i think that the like i there are one or two people just gone way over the top on it and in terms of criticism and I don't see that I think it's a much better facility because it was a bit you know the the pitches weren't great and you're thinking about a club that is trying to think about the next 10 to 15 years and attracting young players and you know as we've said what the model is is they want to become a hub where they can pick players up from other academies and show them there's pathways to the first team but that starts with things like classrooms and your journey out to the training pitches and the facilities that are on site that's where that that you want to be able to bring people's parents and representatives and show them a facility like canal side and them to walk away being impressed and i think rather it, than it going to a an old snooker room that was it, constructed yeah. 15 years ago yeah yeah and i think that's that's what's got lost in a little bit of it i do understand some of the fans frustrations about they haven't got everything they were promised and premier league legacy etc i i do completely get that i'm not dismissing that at all but I, I do think that there is a sort of excellent facility there and there are some really, really good changes and I'm looking forward at some point to being able to go in and, and have a look round myself really and, and see it. It's it's but I just get that I do understand that the video was a bit on top, wasn't it? I mean like nearly an hour's worth is quite a commitment, isn't it? <laughs> we we perhaps didn't need to know the ins and outs of the new CCTV system, but I think they're trying. I think they were trying to be thorough. I think they were yeah. trying to respond to that. To that, don't tell us. You know, you're not telling us anything by saying, "Okay, well, here's everything. Here's all the canal side you can eat," uh, kind yeah. of thing. Um, and yeah, it's. And I think if you look at you know the, the reason for those who haven't seen the reason that they haven't done that three story building that they, they've explained that um, to me, and it's things that well, the top floor of that would have been accommodation for academy scholars. They've got a partnership with Rishworth School instead, so that's where the academy scholars stay. That's their accommodation. So that's the whole top floor that they thought they needed gone. Yeah, um, they've sorted that out that out elsewhere. Um, and then, sort of, the second floor would have been offices for the likes of the media staff or support liaison officer. Some of those people have moved uh, from the stadium into the new offices that they've built where the bar area was. And others are still based at the stadium because now they've vacated a couple of the offices they had at the stadium. So the people that were in sort of makeshift areas have now, or will soon, moved into 
uh, proper offices at the stadium instead. So mm. that's another thing. And I believe they've got a reasonably long-term lease on those offices at the stadium as well. well it, yeah, that, so this is it. So you can't build the three-storey building and then have one and a half, you know, <laughs> one and a half floors completely empty or have it completely full but still be paying for office space at the stadium. Mm. So they were sort of maybe the uh, things changed and maybe the original plans were a bit over ambitious in truth for for where town are but you've also got to understand that how the entire philosophy from the youth system up has completely changed in that time as well so the Mm. need the need changes as well that's that's the thing but i i personally speaking i think if they'd have taken all of that footage and broken it down into six, nine or ten minute videos, you know, separate videos that people can go on and view if they want, if they're interested in the irrigation system, etc., in the offices and all that, I think per- absolutely perfect. I think it's just because it was all in one lump that people were sort of giving them a bit of grief for it. But I, d- I do feel with some respects that the club are sort of damned if they do, damned if they don't. And, yes. you know, I think... There are lots of lots of reasons to criticise town, and we try to be fair and even-handed here. I I don't really see that as a massive one. Yeah, there are aspects of it which weren't brilliant, but you know they are as as you said, they're trying to be thorough. They're trying to show mm. you where the pound, shilling, and pence have been spent. The the other thing with the original plans, and I've spoken to people that have sort of been involved in projects like this before, and and they've said that generally speaking, with these kinds of things, you apply for as much in your planning application as you mm. think you're ever going to possibly need because even if you don't actually intend to build it because then you've got the permission to do it if you want to down the line and you don't have to start the whole process again yeah it's much easier to do that than to apply for what you think is realistic and then have to have to start the process again to do mm. a bit more further down the line so I, I do wonder if there was a, a bit of that in there i think possibly where they've made a a mistake is in having been so public with unveiling what the what the plans were if they knew that that was gonna that was the all singing all dancing this is if we do everything we could ever possibly need to be a premier league mm. club if that was what that video was then i think probably releasing that went two years ago i think it was wasn't it um mm. probably was not a wise move in in hindsight but i think that's that, that I, th- I think that's the error rather than what they've now done since releasing that though the youth system and academy system has completely changed the b team stroke development squad system has completely changed the chairman's changed the board's changed the md has changed uh we've been through four managers like it's a they've been relegated they've been relegated it's they're two completely separate separate points in time so yeah they probably have had to scale back things they probably have had to change things you've just explained the thing about i did not know that about the academy scholars that makes entirely perfect sense to me entirely perfect sense you know these these are the things that change and happen and my brother is in building he's he's a surveyor and you're exactly right you do tend to find even even with housing developments they will apply for planning to the nth degree and then they will go right what are we actually going to do <laughs> so yes. I, i'm sure there probably was a, a a bit of that but yeah you know all those personnel have been through there with their own opinions of what they 
do need and what they don't need and Mm. this is what we've ended up with and don't lose sight of the fact of what they've ended up with is still pretty excellent and a long way from where they were which is what i think one or two people have just forgotten shirt sponsorship as well has been unveiled today dave uh so for those who haven't seen i'm sure everyone has the awake the awake is going to have the charity logos on it so it's yorkshire air ambulance it's the town foundation and it's the kirkwood which was formerly kirkwood hospice yeah. Those shirts are all going to be auctioned off at the end of the season. The match worn shirts and the the money will go to those charities. And it's uh, plus one other charity who were would have been involved in the the pedal for pounds. The reason they're doing this partly is because that pedal for pounds money has gone um, because of COVID. That that got cancelled. So it's a it's a bit of a, a nod to them to try and make up a bit of that money and and raise awareness for those charities as well. Obviously, they've had Yorkshire Air Ambulance on the shirt before. They've had the Town Foundation for a couple of one-off games as well. Um, and the home games, it's going to be uh, a raffle. Um, so it's £250 a ticket. There's 20 tickets available for every game. And uh, it'll get drawn out. You can if you want. You can buy all 20 tickets for any given game. You can buy five, however many you want. And... You know, if you're the local corner shop and you want to put 250 quid in as a as a bit of a punt to see if you can get on the shirt for a game, then you can do that. And that's that's the whole idea is it opens it up to businesses who otherwise wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to do it. Not necessarily going to win the raffle, but at least they're, they're in the draw. Um, so that's the idea, Dave. Um, what do you think on that? Uh, I think it's good. I think the charity angle is... is- fine on the away shirts i think i'll probably buy anything that tommy Alfick has touched um <laughs> but yeah i it, they had to do something again it's another thing that they've just had like so much criticism about and i think there is a valid level of criticism that they haven't got a shirt sponsor through that commercial department and i think the point of criticism was they should have got it before launch because your launch is your bubble you know, once that's gone, you're struggling a little bit after that. So this seems a this seems a very good thing. Yeah, you know, it's a shame they couldn't have done it earlier. But if you, if they felt they did have one or two irons in the fire, that's completely understandable as well. So yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see who ends up popping up on the shirt, won't it? To be mm. fair, I think we should probably we should probably have a go ourselves, Steve, <laughs> and put the podcast on there one week. Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I might give that a go. Yeah, I mean, it seems to to be fair, looking at the, the response on social media, it seems to have gone down relatively well as well. Mm. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, Luton at the weekend. We'll do this quickly because we've talked long enough already. What are your th- what predictions, thoughts for that game? <laughs> we love predictions, uh, don't we? I absolutely hate them. Um, I game. don't know why anybody is interested in what I think might happen in a game that's going to be played <laughs> in a few days' time. <laughs> But the only comment I will say is that I think Luton are just a extremely well-coached, well-drilled side. So it's not going to be easy. It's, there's not going to be much space. Town are going to have to work on that creativity problem to get something from that game. Yeah, we said last week that probably a four-point four week from these three games would be good. They've got three now. But I also said that I thought the Bristol game was more winnable than the Luton game for exactly the reasons you just said. So... Um, I think the main thing is just that the, whatever happens is probably going to set the tone for the two-week international break, even if they're completely switched off from it. The, it was going to set the tone for the fans, and I think going into that with 
having not lost um, will do everyone a lot of a lot of favors before we have that two week break and then come back with another non-stop run of games so yeah i would agree magic thanks for joining us david hartrick you've got a sale on at ockley books at the moment haven't you uh we have we're launching a load of christmas stuff we've just launched a book about the history of football chance there's loads of stuff Ooh. coming up over the next couple of weeks some flash sales so you can get stuff cheap so yes dive on in brilliant ockleybooks.co.uk is it it is o-c-k-l-e-y lovely magic thanks for joining us dave we will see everyone next time uh, i think we'll probably podcast earlier next week if we can yeah. and we want to we want to try and get onto a regular schedule at some point if we possibly can because i appreciate it's been uh, a bit all over the place with the 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 fixture list and the transfer window has interrupted things as well so we are going to try and get onto a regular schedule at some point but we will see you next time in any case goodbye see you there. <laughs>